FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 457 of the podcast that goes snicked. It's a flashback episode where, uh, and I am Jason. I forgot to do, you know, if my mental capacity has been affected by the legacy virus. So I'm Jason, legacy virus available uh, too soon. <laughs> and this is a b- b- bonus flashback episode. This is bonus fatal attraction kind of ancillary material um, addressing some of the fallout. Just, uh, you know, a couple of things kind of bridging the gap between the X-Men 30th anniversary, and the Avengers have also been having, been celebrating 30 years, we'll talk about that just briefly in this episode, but then the next flashback episode will be the combined 30th anniversary of the Avengers and X-Men, which is the uh, Blood Ties crossover, which I'm really curious to see, because I'm wondering how many of those story beats are linchpinned around, uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch being Magneto's kids. <laughs> so I'm wondering, you know, how much I'm going to read this. Like, oh, this has been retconned. This has been retconned. Or if it's not that much. I know it has to do with, like, Quicksilver and Crystal's daughter, Luna. But I don't really remember the story all that well. I have not read it since... Well, I've actually not read the whole thing, ever. Um, it was some of the last issues I bought of X-Men, and I did not buy... <laughs> the Avengers chapters. That's probably why I don't remember it very well, because I was missing chunks of it. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely, I think, makes sense. <laughs> so um, yeah, this will be probably a pretty short episode, just a little holdover until we're able to get you get Scalabros on to talk about Trial of Magneto in, in modern day times. But we're going to talk about a couple of things here. We're going to talk about X-Men Unlimited number two, and then X-Men Annual number two. So both kind of oversized books and then we'll just like I said we'll we'll briefly dive into the Avengers 30th anniversary celebration they did not have an event so to speak but um kind of had just the 30th banner across the top like a couple of different stories that were continuing the 30th celebrations they didn't have like a fatal attractions equivalency um Maybe Blood Ties is kind of that, but it definitely, I mean, it's definitely like a celebration of both, right? It's definitely Marvel saying, hey, Avengers, X-Men, both 30, let's mash them together. Kind of a, a 90s version of AVX. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a couple of episodes. So we're going to start off with X-Men Unlimited number two. This is Point Blank, which is written by Fabian Nassieza, penciled by Jan Dersima. Nasima, maybe? Uh, inks by Dan Panogian, Keith Williams, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Joe Rubenstein. And I think that definitely has an impact on this book. Um, colors by Marie Javins, letters by Richard Starkings, and then uh, Kelly Corvice, Jay Gardner, Bob Harris, and Tom DeFalco all have different levels of editing ability. So, uh, Jan Nasima does the cover. This cover is almost awesome. Um, and I know there's some like exaggeration in comic art, so I don't want to harp on it too much. But basically, it's like a pink and red and dark red, like 
storm and then all these lightning bolts coming out and then in the center of the lightning bolts is a caped figure of Magneto with no helmet and he's in his red and purple suit the classic suit that he's wearing at this time and he's got his arms up and he's got his cape around one fist and then the rest kind of draping behind him and it actually looks pretty good except like I said I know some exaggeration and style is expected in the comics but his right leg is literally two of him <laughs> long like it's is that long so it kind of takes me out of the cover a little bit it's almost like it's too much it's just it's not an exaggeration it's just kind of a misfire on the perspective um but other than that i mean there's some sharp visual going on here and just the leg takes me out of it so i'm gonna say it's an okay cover that could have been really good with maybe a little bit of uh correction <laughs> but anyway yeah so what happens in this one? Well, um, vaguely set within the time frame of Fatal Attractions, we see Magneto's history through the lens of a human who devotes his life to getting revenge on Magneto for killing his brother until when faced with the chance with a super magnet-proof suit and a Magno gun, he decides, you know what? My bro probably had it coming, so never mind. And that's the story. <laughs> Um, it really is. It really is pretty simple. So basically what happens is back at a point in time where Magneto was visiting his wife Magda's grave and on Mount Wondador or outside of one, 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 whatever that place is, <laughs> um, these two soldiers had stumbled across it. One of them offends Magneto at the gravesite and tries to fight Magneto, and Magneto kills him, and so his brother, the surviving brother, devotes his whole life to trying to find ways to, to get his revenge on Magneto, and eventually ending up like working through some government programs, and he gets this like, special suit, and um, you know a, a gun that Magneto can't stop. I, they don't really go into, like like in the movies, they talk about, oh, it's plastic, but I mean, that's kind of the, the, the thought process, or the same idea, right? It's a magnet-proof weapon that they can use in close proximity and finally take Magneto down and then after so you know remember in the Fatal Attractions episode we, one of the big plot points was Magneto does this big EMP pulse and like knocks out power across the world and you know off panel kills like hundreds and thousands of people um, so when that happens, they, they see this is they have to do something now, and he, he eventually finds a way to f get in range of Magneto, and then he decides, well, you know what, we did kind of mess up his grave, and, oh, no, I'm sorry. So, yeah, so after that, when Magneto is able to get back to the planet, he goes back to his grave, and this guy assumes that that's where he's going to go, so there's kind of a lot of conveniency in the plot points there. Um, and then uh, he, he, he gets the attack, but being at the graveyard again, he's like, well, you know what? My brother was kind of jerk. Um, you know, he, he didn't have to be so rude to Magneto. He could have respected the cemetery, respected Magneto's grief. And then, even if we did it on accident, when Ma Magneto gave us a chance to walk away, and my brother chose not to. And so, yeah, I, why? I really don't need revenge. My brother didn't handle the situation right, and I don't want to add 
grief to grief to grief, right? I mean, you know, I already lost his wife. I lost my brother. Why do other people need to lose things? And he kind of puts down his gun and walks away. And then, of course, Magneto goes off. And the end of Fatal Attraction. <laughs> so, um, why, why we're talking about this, A, the tie-in to Fatal Attractions, obviously, which we just had a magnificent, wonderful episode. Um, hopefully you all enjoyed it. I, I know it was a little long, but hopefully you were able to, to get through it and enjoy all the, the super wonderful celebrity guests we had. But um, the other reason is because while they're watching like footage of Fatal Attractions, um, there is a scene that looks like it's from uh, Ileana's Funeral and Uncanny 304. And in that footage, there's a blink if you miss it Wolverine uh, on the screen. So it's it's his back. He's, he's there's a the view of Magneto and then the X Men kind of in the fore in the foreground with their backs to the camera. So you see like Wolverine, just a tiny little Wolverine figure from the back, and that's our our cameo. <laughs> and that's really kind of it. Um, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this issue. Oh, I should probably mention. Um, that Exodus tries to recruit Fantasia from the Brotherhood, but she says it's an all-or-nothing offer, and if you don't want the rest of my friends in the Brotherhood, which Magneto does not, or at least Exodus does not, then I'm not going to come. And so Exodus is like, well, fine, you're lost. I'm going back to Mutant Heaven now on the on the space station. Anyways, and that will play a little bit into where we see, because the Brotherhood will also show up in the annual we're going to talk about. So... We'll, we'll talk about that as well. Um, you know, Jan Dersima, or Dersima, or however you, I don't know how you say it, um, you know, they had, right before this, done some pretty decent work on Incredible Hulk after DK leaves her image. Um, but this is not really very good. It looks somewhat maybe rushed and maybe it was and maybe that's why there's like four inkers and maybe the inconsistency in the inks is also part of the visual problem it's just not a very good looking book and the story is and I love Fabian Nissi as a for the most part quite a bit like he wrote a lot of really good stuff this is not very good I mean it kind of is the worst kind of um, inconsequential tie-in, or not even really a tie-in, it's not a direct tie-in to Fatal Attractions, it's just kind of around Fatal Attractions, like I said, maybe like an ancillary story to Fatal Attractions, but it's so inconsequential, and it's almost really kind of the character journey of the protagonist, the the brother, who's kind of our point of view, like it, it almost, because of how, how he goes from being so strongly wanting to kill Magneto to like, well, maybe my brother was wrong. Like, I'm not saying it's impossible. It just, it makes his art kind of seem like a non-story. And I think what Fabian is trying to say is a good idea, right? That we shouldn't let hatred and a, a thirst for revenge drive us that we need to look at, you know, scenes and situations in our life from 360 degrees and see how other people could have been affected and, and maybe we're not as right and they're not as wrong, right? And that kind of learning to live in the gray and, you know, I, I think it's, it's not a bad point. I just don't know if the story really hammers it home in an effective way or at least not in a very interesting way. So I'm, I'm going to unfortunately give X-Men Unlimited number two and two out of six claws. So we'll go ahead and move 
to X-Men Annual 2, which does not have Wolverine, but it does have some Gambus gumbo for Mr. Grant. So we will talk about that. Um, this has two stories. We have a bluer slice of heaven, also written by Fabian Nicieza. Pencils by Aaron Weisenfeld, who I am not familiar with. Uh, inked, again, multiple inkers on these big books. Uh, Al Milgram, Bob Wyacek, and Keith Williams. Steve Dutro does the letters. Uh, Mike Thomas and Dana Morrishead do the colors. And there's also a Beast backup story, The Beast Foot Forward, written by Scott Lobdell. Penciled, oh, that does not look like him. Uh, it's penciled by Ian Churchill. It, I did not recognize the style at all. So a very early uh, Ian Churchill. Uh, inked by Kevin Conrad, letters by Dave Sharp, and colors by George Russo. Um, the cover is by uh, Aaron Weisenfeld, and it's not a bad cover. We have a what we're assuming is the bad guy. Well, I, I've read it, so I can tell you it's the bad guy on the front, and like a he's got like long hair and a ponytail, and then he's got like a green and orange suit with like orange goldy metallic legs and then he's got like a big yellow and green robe with like a dragon asian kind of symbology on it um and he is like in an alley and one of his hands is glowing with power the other hand is holding a rope and from the rope tied upside down by the feet is uh canon or sorry, a re- and this time it's Revanche is still their code name. Um, and then diving at Revanche, trying to save them is Gambit. And then in the background we have Beast and Cyclops. Cyclops kind of like, oh, what's going on? And then Beast jumping at the bad guy, Gambit jumping at Revanche. It's it's a pretty good cover. It's not too bad. Um, all right, so I'm gonna move a little more slowly through this one, less of a snappy synopsis and more I'm just kind of looking at it so because it kind of goes back and forth a lot on some different stuff so basically what we have two very 90s figures coming out of the water at a beach and they're basically sent to infiltrate like this mutant resort that's kind of all we know at first it's just it's a it's a, a scientist who has done some work, research, and publish some books about X-Men. In fact, he actually has a book, oddly or not oddly enough, called Fatal Attractions, where he kind of gives some history of the X-Men and Magneto and talks about kind of, you know, impacts on society. So he's kind of kind of an author of note in on the mutant problem, as it's called. Um, but anyway, we have these two very 90s-looking figures kind of trying to infiltrate this resort. And we find out that the redesigns of Crimson Commando and Avalanche. But they are stopped by the resort's security, de facto security team, who are the current Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And, you know, we know that they're not, they weren't involved in Fatal Attractions because uh, Fantasia was the only one that Exodus wanted. So now they're here on this resort helping out. Um, and, of course, Pyro and Blob were on Freedom Force with Crimson... Oh, well, yeah, so the whole the whole Brotherhood right now is Fantasia, Blob, Pyro, and Toad as the leader. And anyway, so Pyro and Blob were on Freedom Force, you know, right before the new X-Factor got launched. Um, 
with uh, Crimson Commando, who, by the way, is now just going by Commando and uh, Avalanche. And so they're like, what are y'all doing here? Why are y'all fighting? And But they didn't kind of fight him until the host, our Mr. Turner, comes up. I th- no, it's not Turner. What is it? Shoot. Um, what was his name? Chambers. Jonathan Chambers. So Mr. Chambers, you know, interrupts and says, hey, don't, don't fight these guys. They're, they'll be welcome here. And, you know, it'll be fine. So then we go back to the mansion. And we have Beast, Moira, Xavier, and Banshee in a lab. And they're looking at the spread of the virus that killed Ileana, which they know is from Strife. And this is the first time they refer to it like as the virus that destroys legacy, blah, blah, blah. This is the first time on page that we call it the legacy virus, which is, you know, a pretty big deal, I think. Um, you know, for how long these story points kind of go. So, yeah, so they've defined and they're identifying the virus as the legacy virus, and they're trying to monitor its spread, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to reach out to mutants and help them, and they're kind of trying to come up with a plan. And then we switch to the danger room, and Revanch is in a session against Gambit, Rogue, and Jubilee. And she kind of does okay at first, and then eventually, you know, it's just a little too much for them. And then Psylocke is up in the control room with Scott and Jean. And, you know, it's funny how they kind of change different plot points as things go along. So we know that the wedding, the summer's wedding between Scott and Jean is just around the corner. And we've had kind of this hanging thread of Psylocke trying to seduce Cyclops. And obviously with him about to be a married man, and we're not to, you know, kind of the open open season of Krakoa yet. Um, so, you know, the X-Men's still all pretty monogamous at this point in time. Um, so they get, we got to get Cyclops straightened out. We got to get kind of this, uh, and we don't want, I, th- I think what happens, right, in 1993, which is where, where we are right now in the, in the comics, is there's too much of a risk that if you make, if you have Cyclops and Jean get married, and Psylocke still continues to try to insert herself into Cyclops' life, sexually, right, or romantically, or however you want to look at it, physical, emotionally, both, either, um, there's no way to kind of continue that story without painting her as the bad guy, and I don't think we want Psylocke to be the bad guy. Like, she's edgy, sure. And, you know, she's sexy and has lots of sexual energy. All that's good stuff. But for her to hit on Cyclops and introduce a love triangle, kind of while her and while Scott and Jean are kind of figuring out the relationship or st- still just dating, I think is fine. It's, it's good melodrama. And I would say, you know, in a soap opera kind of way, that for her to continue that after they get married is still soap opera X-Men melodrama, but I think though at that point like she's not just hitting on a man, she's trying to seduce someone's husband and as teammates and as X-Men maybe not a quality we wanted to see at this time period. So what I'm getting at is with that in mind, I think they, they really walk back her attempted seduction and and kind of blame it on the revanch Psylocke, you know, 
who's who or what part of me is in control of what. And so the idea then, which is weird because I don't think they necessarily want to cast Revanch as a villain either, but they kind of allude to, well, maybe it's her part of me that is seducing. Because Betsy Braddock would never do that. It has to be the, the canone part. Um, and I'm basing my pronunciation now. I, I've always said Quanon or Quanon, but most likely Quanon. Um, until I read an article that a guy was like, no, if, if, if it was really Japanese, it's Kanon. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to remember to say it that way, and thank you, Cameron, for sending me that article. And Georgie, if you know you know, how it might be different from your time in Japan, you can definitely let us know as well. But either way, uh, Psylocke is, is not wanting to bother Xavier. He has enough on his mind right now after what just happened. But Psylocke opens her mind to Jean and says, can you find out what part of me is what? And unfortunately, Jean goes in and, and then has some kind of painful psychic backlash for both of them, but she basically says, y'all are both, like y'all are joined at the root, at the soul. Like you're both, both people. And we don't really know how that works. Like it's not like you're half and half. Like you're both fully, full personality mix skill mix, power mix, you're in two different bodies, but you're kind of, and you're, it's weird, and it's kind of hard to follow, because they're, they're both fully both people, but they're not the same person, <laughs> and even Cyclops is like, wow, this is, this is hard to keep track of, and poor girl, she's not, she's two holes of two people, and, and not wholly either one, so how can she? How is she going to handle that? How can she be herself? And Psylocke kind of just walks off in pain. Um, so hopefully more to come on that. Then we'll see how much more as this story progresses. But, but even Jean like hugs Cyclops and says, "I'm sorry. I wish I had better news for her." And then you know Psylocke walks away, looks over her shoulder, sees them in the background hugging. So, so she's not having a good day. She's not getting much of what she wants. <laughs> She's having it. She's giving up on pursuing Cyclops and finding out that um, there's really no separation between her and Revanche. And yeah, I'm definitely interested in tracking how that goes. So then we go back to the island resort and the Freedom Force guys and Crimson Commando and Avalanche are kind of they're getting back together, but then. Uh, Chambers comes in, and we find out he's not a human interested in mutants. He's actually a mutant. And he kind of uses his powers, and it looks like he's siphoning some power off of Blob, like he decimates his face a little bit, but it's not permanent. So, um, you kind of get the idea. It's not explicitly stated yet, but that this guy, this Chambers guy, is like a kind of a, a mutant vampire of a way. Like, he feeds on other people's mutant powers. Then we see uh, a DEA boat with a guy in binoculars, and we find out that it's Guy Rich and one of his cronies from Project Wide Awake, and they actually have hired Commando and Avalanche and sent them to infiltrate the island and ingratiate themselves to the host and just find out some information about what's going on. So Project Wide Awake is interested in this island. Um... Back at the base, the X-Men need a, a mission. So they're going to go check out this resort as well. Um, 
and kind of worth noting, I mean, Gambit is obviously hearing this kind of while we're talking about this, but, you know, this is kind of the blue team's first mission without Wolverine. You know, he just recently lost his adamantium and is taking a sabbatical to kind of figure out what that means for him. Um, so this is their first mission without him. But they're going to go to the island and try to figure out what's going on. Um, and they they find out that the Brotherhood of Mutants are also, I'm sorry, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are also there. So they're going to, you know, they're going to be ready for a fight. So they get the Blackbird. Um, you know, Gambit's like... Um, you know, are we going in hot or not? Um, and Cyclops is like, well, we'll kind of take two teams. So Gambit, Revanche, and Psylocke together are going to be kind of the sneaky spy team. And then Beast, Cyclops, and Rogue get themselves invited to the resort. And so they'll be the public face of the team. And then, you know, Gyrit sees the X-Men coming like, oh, what are they doing here? And, you know, it's kind of upset. And then uh, Gambit's kind of a creeper. <laughs> they, they're sneaking around on the grounds, and um, they find a vent. They see some steam coming out of the ground. They find a vent, and they're going to go in, and um, Psylocke is like, shall we? And Gambit's like, venture into dark, windy tunnels with the two of you. Lolly, but a naughty boy's dreams can come true, which is kind of creepy on its own, but maybe it's kind of 90s flirtatious, whatever. But, but he... You know, we just got through the Gambit miniseries where he kind of is, even before that, like heavily in pursuit of Rogue. <laughs> and so to be like, let's go, let's go down the tunnel and have some, some in the dark. No one can see what we do, but I can follow you guys. Basically, kind of, kind of insinuates, and he's just gonna, as they're crawling through the tunnels, he's gonna be, I can stare at your asses the whole time. Um, so, n- not the best look for our Cajun mutant. Uh, definitely a little too much in that one. But um, anyway, that's that's where we are. So they, they infiltrate. Um, Cyclops, Beast, and Rogue are talking with Chambers like in his library, and they're just kind of talking about his book and, and what it means. But Chambers is like, oh, I know you got some other mutants here. In fact, they should be encountering some of my mutants right now. And we see that, that Revanche, Gambit, and Psylocke encounter the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants plus Avalanche and Commando, who have agreed to stay. And uh, Pyro makes like this giant fire monster on this double-page spread that fights Gambit. It looks pretty cool. Um, and Gambit gets to throw his cards, and he hits some of the guys. Um, Psylocke, you know, uses the... Uh, to- uh, what is I can't remember the name. Or her catchphrase. The, the total total power of her telekinetic knife. Um, and she stabs Fantasia. Then the X-Men come down and be like, whoa, what's going on? And so they, they jump in. There's more fighting. Rogue kind of helps turn the tide. And then Chambers stops them all. And he kind of says, what's going on? And Cyclops is like, I don't think this resort is on the up and up. And Chambers is like, well, all right, let me explain. So this resort is not just for mutants in general. No, they're welcome. But it's for... Mutants who have the legacy virus. And we find out that Pyro, among the Brotherhood, does have the legacy virus. Um, And basically, we find out another thing about the virus, which we did not see with Ileanus. This is kind of a new addition to the mythology of the virus. And that is it makes people's powers fluctuate 
and go out of control and kind of go like kind of levels them up to a degree that's not necessarily in a positive way and the idea of the resort is chambers siphons off the extra energy that is hurting the mutants with the legacy virus is almost a symbiotic thing like he's not he's not curing them he doesn't know how to cure them but he gives them comfort. He gives them a place to, first of all, to come, right? A safe space. Well, a quote-unquote safe space. Cyclops is questioning how safe it really is with the whole energy drain. But he says, I'm not, I'm not attacking anyone who doesn't offer it. Like I'm, it's kind of like the idea, of like you know, in in TV shows and movies, like a Supernatural, for example, where there's vampires and werewolves who are trying to be good. So instead of like eating people or sucking people's blood. They get animals, or they go to, a, they rob a blood bank, or whatever. So they don't, they find other ways to kind of treat their cravings. That's kind of what Chambers is trying to do. He kind of compares it to like, I am a mutant vampire. I need to feed on mutant powers, but instead of me going out and being like a bad guy, I'm having an open invitation. And it's a cooperation, right? I'm not attacking anyone. I'm not taking anything against anybody's will. But those who are willing to offer, and especially those who are afflicted by the legacy virus, where using your powers or the fluctuation of powers causes them great pain and discomfort, I can soothe that pain by feeding off of that, right? And it's kind of a win-win. And Cyclops is, is like, well, but is it? <laughs> like, are you not just kind of speeding up their march towards death while we could be trying to figure out how to, how to cure them? He's like, well... It's kind of just this very like moral gray area of what's the responsibility to the patients, right? To the people who are having this great pain, and you know, kind of raises questions of like you know, right to die and stuff like that in a very subtle, different way. Um, so I, I kind of appreciate uh, Fabian's writing because he doesn't really portray even with our X Men as the heroes that anyone is particularly good or particularly bad in this story. It's just a bad situation. And and Chambers says, you know, when Cyclops really calls him out on it, he admits, yes, this is a benefit for me. It's somewhat selfish. But if I'm helping them feel better, isn't that an okay trade-off for me to take their energy? And if I get their permission, is that an okay trade-off for me to take their energy? And they don't really resolve it. Because they're about, Cyclops is kind of drawing a line in the sand, like, no, we need to take these guys back to the mansion and figure out how to treat them. And then Revant steps up and says, oh, hold on, I may have a perspective here. And she pulls down part of her shirt. And the the physical identifier right now for the legacy virus is almost like a leprous, leprosy, kind of like boils. Like, Pyro pulls his neck down. And he's got like these big boils and, and lumps on his neck and going onto his face a little bit. And then Revanche has it on her chest. And she says, I think in this situation, people who contract the legacy virus should be able to choose for themselves how they want to handle it. And if this is his choice to come to this resort and let Chambers relieve the pain by sucking the energy off, then people should have the right to make that choice. And and then Psylocke backs her up. So, 
the X-Men kind of like, okay, well, I guess we're going to, we'll revisit this, maybe we'll keep an eye on you. Cyclops is like, I'm watching you with my one eye. <laughs> but then uh, some helicopters come, it's the DEA. Um, and essentially, so Guy Rich lands and says, what's going on here? Is this bad, evil mutants? I see the Brotherhood, and Cyclops is like, no, no, everyone here is just relaxing. It's a resort. It's, it's good. And he vouches for Chambers and his place and says, it's, you know, they're just, they're, they're not doing anything wrong here. There's no criminal activity. Um, so you have no right to kind of interfere. And that's kind of where they leave it. So he's like, okay, well, I guess so. And then um, uh, Chambers offers revenge. Do you want to stay and let me help you? And she's like, no, I think it's really, really important that I have the choice, and these other people who are inflicted have the choice, but my choice is to go back with the X-Men, or I'm trying to find my place, and, you know, I'll deal with the virus on my own terms, but, but I do think it's important we have the choice, and so they go home, and then there's a, a beast story in the back where he, Trish is interviewing this guy at a hospital who's doing some research, and uh, uh, one of his patients busted, and he's like, strong guy to like the 10th power, and he's like, oh, you did this to me, and then he, he fights the beast, and then the doctor's like, you're right, I'm evil, <laughs> and Trish gets the scoop on the story, and, you know, he turns himself in, and whatever, and the backup's not very good. So, the main story, um, I actually think it's a pretty good and pretty complex story, I like it quite a bit. The art is okay. Um, I'm not familiar with Weisenfeld. He kind of has the look and there's a lot of this going on in 1993. Both at the Big Two and at Image of kind of this imageification of art. <laughs> so, you know, the big guns left Marvel. They start Image and there's a very there's very distinct styles and and you can go listen to more details about all this on Mr. John Wilson's podcast about the launch of Image and several, I guess, I think it is, it's up to a couple of years at this point, not just months, um, on all the pouches, which is on a hiatus, but he, he did mention he might be revisiting that. But anyway, there's lots of episodes out there already, so you can definitely go listen to those, and he, you'll hear about a lot of these artists um, who are kind of the the underlings of, you know, the guys that started Image. They all, all those big name artists started their own like little studios. They have like protégés who work under them. And some of those guys turn out to be really good. A lot of them turn out to just kind of ape the studio style. And then I think you see a lot of that same aping or mimicking of style at Marvel and DC at the same time. There's what that leads to in my opinion, I thought this at the time, and I think it even more looking back, is sometimes there's a really just indistinct, like what I would call like a second-rate image art style. Like it's not good enough to, to be the superstars, but it's trying to be. And I feel like this this guy falls into that category. Like, it's, it's a very... Imageified. It's not quite as TNA as some of the 1993 image stuff, but just just looking at like there's a few panels in specific, like like the panel where Revanche reveals she has um, the legacy virus. You know that that stuff looks almost like um, 
it was almost like a David Finch quality to the art. I don't know if he started doing Cyberforce yet or not at this point. I don't remember because he, when Sylvester quit drawing the art for Cyberforce, Finch was one of the guys that stepped in um, and did a little run. Uh, kind of how he made his claim to fame before he started off doing his own books and eventually, you know, moving over to, to Marvel and DC and, and doing some pretty big, big headlining stuff. Um, there's almost like a Finchian quality to this guy. Um, and it's not bad. It's just very samey for, for a lot of what you see in comics in, in 1993. Um, with that said, I actually quite enjoyed this issue. Um, you know, this is a Gambit Gumbo issue, you know, Wolverine, so I'm going to give X-Men annual number two, even though it makes Gambit kind of look bad. <laughs> He's a little pervy. But that's kind of his M.O. in 93, like nine, early 90s. He's kind of a, you know, a, a cool guy on the TV show who, you know, hits on the chicks, but probably in ways that we would prefer not to see done now. Um, but anyway, that, that said, that little blemish aside, um, I don't think the art's quite good enough to give this four out of four aces, but it's a pretty solid three out of four aces for me on X-Men Annual number two. So... The last thing I'm going to talk about is just barely Avengers number 365. I won't really go into the details. And this particular issue is by... Um, what does it say who wrote it? It was Bob Harris. And the cover... I'm oh, sorry, the art is by Steve Epting with inks by Tom Palmer. Uh, colors are also by Tom Palmer. I don't think that's right. Sorry, let me go to Marvel Unlimited and find this one. Give me just a second, guys, as I look this up. Because I don't think what this website is telling me is correct. I believe it is incorrect. So we're going to find the actual issue. Look at the actual credits on the inside. So give me just one sec. I'm almost there. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming right here. Now, my app will just work. The Marvel Unlimited app is always spotty. I have to restart it, like, all the time. Love the service. Just wish the app was better. By the way, I don't know if it's all TVs, but same thing with the HBO Max app on Samsung TVs, at least. I have to unplug and replug in my TV all the time. Because the app just quits working. But that's neither here nor there. So this is not working. Hold on. Stupid app. Or maybe it's just my phone. I don't know. I've heard other people complain. Anyway, while I'm looking up the credits, the gist is, like I said, the Avengers are celebrating their 30th anniversary with kind of a slew of stories. And it hasn't been like a big event. But I really enjoy that Harris has been kind of evaluating kind of the fallout of Galactic Storm, which has been kind of what most of his stories have been focusing on. And so this is for an Empire Lost... I'm not going to be able to find the credits on here either. Where? Good grief, people. Well, shoot. Enjoy the silence, as Depeche Mode would say. <laughs> not a very good motto to live by on, on a podcast. Yeah, I actually got nothing. Um, 
But anyway, Harris is the writer, Epting is the artist. And so basically, this, this story, this right before blood ties, is a story of kind of addressing the fallout of Galactic Storm. So we had a story after that where the Shi'ar came and messed with the Avengers because of their involvement in Galactic Storm. Then we had this other story with this weird, like, interdimensional bad guys. And then this story, there's some Kree, like a Kree goon squad that comes to Earth to get revenge on the Avengers for killing the Supreme Intelligence. And they bring a nega bomb, and they're going to try to blow up the Earth. And of course, the Avengers are able to stop them. Um, and it's not bad. It's a, it's a pretty decent story. I would say the concept and the idea, and it's kind of how I feel about this bomber jacket era of Avengers in general, is that Harris has some pretty good ideas and gets some good stuff done from a concept overall plot perspective. And of course, Epting's, Steve Epting, um, at this point, is a pretty good art. Like, I'm enjoying his 90s art a fair amount. Um, I, I would say, though, about the stories in general, like, when there's really good concepts and plot points, sometimes the actual nuts and bolts of the writing and particularly some of the dialogue from Bob Harris doesn't really do it for me. Um, so that's a little bit of a drawback. So, I, you know, I would put most of these issues, if I was going to rate them, in, in the four... High three, low four out of six claws perspective. Um, but anyway, in 365 in particular, there's a series of pinups. There's a really awesome, there's a couple of, you know, just kind of standard team shots. There's a really great Black Panther pinup that I tweeted. And then there's a They're Coming promo pinup that has the Avengers fighting Colossus and Wolverine. And the only thing I can think of is that it has to be a promo piece for Blood Ties, which is coming at, th at this point in Avengers. Uh, I think 367 is the first issue, is part one. So in a couple of issues down the road, we have Blood Ties coming, which where the Avengers will cross over with the X-Men. The problem <laughs> with the promo piece is that neither Colossus nor Wolverine are on the X-Men by the time the crossover happens. Colossus has joined the Acolytes and is in space with them. And then Wolverine has lost his adamantium, which, by the way, in this pinup, he has adamantium claws. Um, so he can't be coming anywhere with those bad boys because they're gone. He's, he has bone claws now. And he's also left the team and is not in Blood Ties. Like, we are going to cover Blood Ties, but it's purely from a Gambit perspective. It has nothing, Wolverine's not in it at all. Um, so, I don't know if someone just told this artist, hey, do a promo for the X-Men fighting the Avengers, and he's like, well, I'm going to draw Colossus and Wolverine, and just no one bothered to tell him, oh, by the way, you can't have Colossus and Wolverine, because they're not going to be X-Men anymore, or if maybe when he was assigned to draw the promo, maybe that decision hadn't been finalized, maybe... I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what happened. It's just weird. Because it's, it's not even just like a pinup of random fight. Like, it's very much a, they're coming, like, looking future issues for the X-Men. And the X-Men they chose to display are not on the team. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to, uh, let me see here. Let's see. So, um, because that, that's an August issue. So, the end of Fatal Attractions at the time of 
when 365 was published would not have hit standards yet. Right? They had to have known. So I don't know how far in advance the pinup would have been commissioned. Probably, you know, probably a few months before that. Um, so I guess maybe they, the offices weren't talking or the ex-office was keeping, you know, the return of Magneto was the worst kept secret of the 90, of early 90s X-Men comics. But the revelation of Magneto getting mind-wiped, of Colossus leaving the team, kind of betraying the team in a way, and Wolverine losing his clock, like that, those were secrets that were kept pretty good, pretty close to the vest, um, and were all very big surprises for me as a reader at the time. So maybe the ex-officers just weren't sharing that information, and this guy just drew his two favorite X-Men and, and didn't know they would not be part of the story. I had to think that the editors knew, but... Anyway, I don't know. It's just kind of just kind of one of those weird, funny things. I've spent way more time talking about it than I should. Um, but it's just kind of something that struck me as odd and funny, and just the timing of it is weird. And and honestly, it's not a very good pinup, which is probably also part of the issue. Um, but yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of what's going on with the Avengers, and we'll see them um, on our next flashback episode. So hope you enjoyed this episode. I went way. I mean. I'll edit it down a little bit, but, you know, I'm over 45 minutes for a, what I thought was going to be like a 20-minute episode. So I've gone about twice as long as I thought, which is fine. I hope you enjoy it. So, um, yeah, so next couple episodes will be the Excaliburos, Georgie and Dan and, and maybe Ian, hopefully, uh, coming on to talk about Trial of Magneto and catch up with the other X, new X-Men books. The next flashback will be um, Blood Ties. Oh, there are two things I want to mention, though, on this one before we go. There was a Super Soldier UK book, and Wolverine was in issue 7. I don't have that and don't have a way to really read at it. And then there was a Real Hero series from Pizza Hut. This is not the same as the Pizza Hut X-Men comics, and were kind of coincided with the animated series. But there was a real Heroes, and Wolverine was one of those. I actually looked at maybe trying to get it, but they're not, like, expensive on eBay, but they're expensive enough that I was like, uh, no, probably not. Not for a Pizza Hut comic. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just didn't want to mention, though, that they, those are Wolverine appearances that I will not be able to talk about. Um, and they're both pre- Fatal Attractions are right, like, concurrent. I mean, he has he has the adamantium in both of those, from what I can tell from the covers. So, anyway, I will not be talking about those, but those are there. And, but yeah, so the next couple of flashbacks, it's actually going to be a little bit before we get to Wolverine, because we're going to talk about some Gambit stuff and some Sabretooth stuff, because we're... You know, we just did the Sabretooth miniseries, and he's about to come to the mansion. And so we'll talk about some of those stories, and there will actually be some Gambit and Sabretooth stuff together. So that'll be fun. Um, so we'll get through kind of all that before we actually make our way back to Wolverine number 76 and start his adventures with Bone Claws. So, also the wedding. The, the wedding in the 90s coming up real soon. So that's kind of what's, what's coming next. Um, for the podcast and Ghost Nick, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Show notes and stuff are at SnickCast.podbean.com. And please, everyone, stay safe, stay well out there. And until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.